This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey guys, it's me. I'm getting back into the podcast game. I also am going to be more consistent as it relates to uh, just coming to you guys with different things on my on my mind. They're going to be short little uh, snippets and thoughts that I have, but there's a lot of good things going on in my life, and I just want to share that with you. Um, but as I was thinking about launching this and and really you know kind of doing the, the new launch and being consistent, I want to start with an episode that I did a while back, an episode that. That, quite frankly, is the most special one I've done to this date. It's with a dear friend of mine. Yeah, I can pretty much considered him my second dad, Greg Helema. Now, Greg, uh, I met Greg when I was 13 years old. And this guy poured into my life. He would meet with me for coffee. He, would, he I could talk to him about everything. He, in fact, he became one of my first clients, one of my very first clients, and encouraged me to leave the bank, start my own business. In fact, he was an advisor um, in our business. If God didn't have taken him home, he would have uh, been continuing to work. And his his dream was to help as many people as possible with their money. Greg was a better dad and husband than he was ever a business person and that's saying a lot because he was an incredible person to do business with and what I wanted to do is I wanted to capture his story his passion his the reason why he exists the reason why he's so passionate and but and yet the reason why he's not afraid of death and I wanted to capture that for you a while back I sat down with Greg we, we were big into coffee, so we had coffee. It was recorded. Um, the microphone, uh, his was pretty good. Mine was, um, you know, it, it kind of went in and out. Um, and I just wanted to capture his story. I just wanted, I, I wanted this to be captured because I almost feel so guilty that I got to spend so much time with him. And when I think of his three boys and I think of the people that were never able to really have that quality time, I wanted to give you a glimpse of what it was like uh, to, to have this amazing band in my life. And um, so I hope you enjoy. There's gonna be more to come, but if, if, this, if this resonated with you, make sure to share it with the people in your life. And, and if you're lucky enough to be alive listening to this, make sure to tell the people that you love the most that you love them, and make sure to live an intentional life. Uh, because one thing that you'll hear through this interview is Greg was big on the word intentionality and he was a very intentional person but when he got diagnosed with this this cancer and he'll he'll tell the story I don't want to share too much he doubled down I would say tripled down on his intentionality that was the biggest thing that I learned through this tragedy so enjoy I look forward to hearing your thoughts and I look forward to coming out with more content and engaging with you guys more. I love you, and I appreciate all the support that you guys have, have been to me, and I look forward to the future and what we can do. All right, everyone, it's Caleb Williams here, and this talk is gonna look a lot different than my other interviews. I'm here with one of my best friends, mentor, kind of like a second father figure, and we have, we're going to talk about a lot of uh, deep things, and Greg's going to be able to share his story. But just in kind of give you an overview, um, Greg, I've known you since I was 15. Probably about then, yeah. And uh, we became friends. We did, um, we met 
we met early on and you kind of like mentored me as far as leadership. We talked about girls. We talked about life. Yeah, we talked about a lot of things. Uh, you saw me start at the bank and then you um, saw me move on from there. You became one of my first clients. Um, we did business together. Um, you've always been a huge encouragement um, and a mentor to me. And then you had something, you know, pretty dramatic happened to your life that's made you take a really big step back has making me take a really big step back mm -hmm. and I just I just want to be able to document and talk about the things that we talked about at a young age talk about the, what we're doing for business talk about why being the kind of dad you're trying to be why the message that you're talking a lot about about being intentional like I just want to start capturing that mm -hmm. because there's going to be people that watch this 10 years from now your kids might be watching this 10 years mm -hmm. from now and I want them I, I feel selfish about all the things that I've been able to gain from you and mm -hmm. I'm this is really a significant time and the cool thing is we get to drink coffee while we do it. <laughs> so. oh, absolutely absolutely let me start a little bit in, in the distant past um, just remind you of you know the story of where we came to be in Wisconsin because we're not originally from Wisconsin um, so um, my wife and I have been married for many, many years. It has been over 26 years now. Um, and we started out in Canada. Um, uh, we got married in a town called uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, spent three years being married in Canada. I worked for a lot of different uh, places. And um, there was a significant transition in our life that caused us to end up coming to the United States. We went to a conference for our church at, uh, in Chicago at Willow Creek Community Church. And there was a, a really interesting transformation that happened there, not because we were gone, but because we had said many, many times, we know where God wants us to be or we are where we think God wants us to be. And God had to change that. And so literally I came back from this church leadership conference with our pastor, with Heather, and with another um, church leader, and my job was gone within a week. Mm. And that was the catalyst that kind of started us going. And we looked into um, being a youth pastor at a couple of different places ended up uh, accepting a job as a youth pastor in South Dakota. So we moved to South Dakota in 1996. Uh, enjoyed our time there, but God was again moving. After um, 14 years of being in South Dakota, um, we were uh, brought to Wisconsin. Well, we were praying about opportunities and the opportunity arose that a client from Wisconsin needed my services for what I was doing at that point in time. I was no longer a youth pastor. I was working in telecommunications, and that door opened up for us. Uh, we've been, as a family, intentional about following God wherever he takes us, um, and that means that we're looking to him for guidance on a regular basis, but also looking to him to arrange things in our lives that um, are significant and noticeably from him. That's what brought us to, to Wisconsin. Um, and the homeschool community here was phenomenal for us. And that's actually how our families met. Yeah. Um, my wife is now very good friends with your mom. Um, but because I have three teenage boys, she had paved the way with you mm -hmm. and some of your siblings to know 
what to do from a homeschool perspective. Um, and it was really significant for her to learn from your mom. And that was how we got to meet. We spent some time at your family. Um, we got to enjoy um, knowing who you were. And I just felt a connection with you and said, hey, it would be really cool to get together with you every once in a while. And then for a period of time there, um, I knew that my job was going to be ending mm, yep. in that, that place and took that opportunity to spend extra time with you um, on a weekly basis. We spent time at McDonald's <laughs> of all places, um, but enjoying each other's company and talking about the future, talking yeah. about entrepreneurial things, talking about girls, talking about leadership, talking about mentorship, talking about so many different things. You say it was a, a little bit of a mentoring relationship, but I gained as much from you and your enthusiasm for life and your enjoyment of what you were learning as much as I think you learned from me from things that I had learned in the past and how God was working. Fast forwarding a little bit, after that job transitioned out and I moved to a different position in IT project management, um, the schedules didn't work for us and we you know, no longer could meet as often as we were able to originally. Um, but we stayed in contact and we spent quite a bit of time with each other, encourage each other and to learn from, uh, from each other. And that was when I started to hear about some of the things that you were learning um, about the financial world and about the future of what you wanted to do. You were involved in banking, you were involved in being um, in the financial area at the bank at a, such a young age. And yet you were passionate about finding the best, you know, options for clients as you still are. It was really, really interesting to me that that dovetailed mm -hmm. with, I had this unexpected pension payout from my previous position. And I said to you, Caleb, I said, I want to do something different. I don't want to just pour it into the stock market. I don't want to just add it to my 401k, which I could have done. I said, let's look at something outside of the box. And that was when we had the opportunity to, um, be able to do something further with this. Now, we talked earlier briefly, I mentioned about God working. This was again a God moment because what I know now, I would have taken this step and moved forward with what we did, but I didn't know that. I didn't know what the future would hold, but God did. And God provided for us by allowing us to see what you were learning about investing or taking money and storing it into a whole life policy that had the potential to do amazing things in the future, but also to have an, an immediate benefit if something were to happen to, my, to myself that would provide for my family. And that is truly what ended up happening. So just over a year ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare state, uh, form of cancer. Um, and, and you know this, but it was something that was completely out of the blue and it is terminal. It's not a matter of if this is going to cause my demise, it's a matter of when at this point in time. Um, right now I feel great um, and I'm able to communicate well. Um, but most people who are diagnosed with my form of cancer um, have very short time frames to live. Um, and it's completely unexpected because by the time that it's found out it's 
throughout their whole body. And I believe that also God provided for my family and for many others in this way that there was a weird anomaly with how my body reacted to this cancer that caused them to find it very early on. It's been over a year now. I'm still in chemotherapy treatments, um, but it's just kind of delaying what's actually going to happen. Now, again, let's take a step back. Three years ago, when I had this pension payout, what did we do with it? We put it into a whole life policy, a permanent life insurance policy before I was sick, before I had my cancer. And what does that do? That gives amazing um, provision and preparation financially for my family. Crazy uh, good run through of your of your kind of history. Um, one of the one of the things that um, was kind of cool, and I love how you break it down, is when you first got this life insurance. It wasn't. I mean, we we didn't rarely even talked about the death benefit. Correct, we didn't. Can you explain your kind of story and how your family used it as kind of a banking policy? Because sure. out of all the clients that I have, you guys are probably the most fun to talk about as in how you used it because it's very unique. It is very unique. So we live on a, a little bit of an acreage. Um, we have 10 acres. We have chickens. And we have uh, gone into being able to raise a small number of grass-fed beef. Um, so we typically have four cows every year. We started out with two and then did three, just getting more comfortable with having the cows. But what we've done since we've had the policy in place is that we use the cash value from our policy. We take out a, a collateralized loan from our policy and we use that to purchase our cows as yearlings. And we use them also to purchase some of the supplies we need to help them for the six months that we have our cows. So we take out the loan in April, buy the cows, buy some bales, buy some other um, uh, supplements that we want them to be on that helps them to grow as grass-fed cows. Um, after six months, we take our cows to the butcher. We sell the meat to, um, we have a, a large list of clients. Um, in fact, Caleb's family got to benefit from that for the first time this past year. Um, and then we repay our loan. The cool part is we take, you know, approximately $3,000 out from our policy and then we turn that into $4,500 in less than six months. The return on our investment is over a thousand percent because it really only costs me about $80 to use that $3,000 for that six months. Cost me $80 and I turn that $80 into $1,500 worth of profit. Now, I don't know if that's possible for people in a larger scale, but it works really, really well for us. And we're able to easily use that money, um, purchase the cows, purchase the, the supplies we need, and then easily repay it at the end of our six months. We always know we have that cash value available to us right. in case anything were to happen um, from for other perspectives. We know we've got cash available. Um, we are believers in making sure that we're preparing for the future. Yeah. We have um, what we call an emergency fund. Well, when we started this policy, we realized instead of leaving this emergency fund in our bank account where we were getting less than a half a percent of interest, we know we have access to that money. We took all of our emergency fund as well as my pension payout, and that's what started our policy. All of that money is now in that policy growing while we use it. And we know we have access to it. If anything were to happen, 
um, you know, if our furnace were to go, if we, you know, had a, uh, a need for a car for somebody, we could easily do that. Pull the money out, use the cash, pay it back into our policy over time, knowing it's continuing to grow. One of the, one of the things that is said about this kind of planning is, is it kind of guarantees what you want to happen will happen even if a tragedy happens. Correct. One of the things that we did actually today was we sat down and like did some future planning on what this would look like after your passing. And, and while that might sound like really harsh, it's also really cool to think about like the things that are, your family are going to be able to do. We were talking about how you're going to, your, your boys are going to have their own banking policies. Correct. Yep. And and in a sense, for me, I it's gotten me to rethink the way that I help families because, yes, you're a perfect example of someone that has been able to leverage their savings early on to do some really cool things, make it have fun experiences, make money. Um, it's given you an ability to have an emergency fund that's most efficient, but it's also protecting you and being able to pass on a legacy to your family. Correct. And, and so I don't know if you want to touch on like, um, with your boys or with your wife, because your your wife Heather has also been very involved with money, which has mm -hmm. been uh, which has been huge. And then the last thing that I'll throw in is Robert Kiyosaki cash flow game. How right. intentional you've been about training your kids. And after yeah. we kind of get into that, I want to kind of go into your like how you raise your kids and the philosophy because sure. I think it's pretty cool. Sure. Well, one of the things that I've really um, noticed about just our recent conversations is that. When we started talking about the living benefits of this policy, we talked about the potential in the future. Um, and I want to make sure that that's available for my kids. But the cool part is that we've kind of seen it accelerate because of what experience we've had right now. We get an opportunity to see this benefit, or my family's going to get the opportunity to see this benefit them both immediately as well as prepare them for the future. We're cascading the benefits of my policy into the policies of my children and my wife so that they have this same ability to use living benefits and have assurances for the future for in case a tragedy does happen. Um, we all know that we're going to die sometime and these are permanent policies so there's a guaranteed payout at some point in time that we can plan for and put that into the future i think that what we've done is change the finances for generations to come um we as a family we talk a lot about our finances we're not a family that is wants to be hidden about that we want to talk about it often as well as we talk about other deep um, issues in our life and other deep um, subjects like um, the situation that we find ourselves in from a health perspective. Um, we want to be open with our, our boys. We want to be open with each other. And in doing so, we actually talk about that with a lot of other people as yeah. well. And we share our story because we want to help as many people as possible, not just from finances, but from the assurance that we have of what's going on. Now, thinking about assurances, from a spiritual perspective, I know where I'm going. From a spiritual perspective, I know that my family is going to feel loss, but it's not a loss that they're going to feel like those who don't know where they're going. Um, it's going to be sadness because 
I may no longer be here. I will no longer be here. But that sadness is tempered by the fact that we know that we'll see each other again, that there is a place that I'm going to. That's the most important assurance that needs to be in place. But secondary is the assurance of knowing that my family is going to be provided for financially. When I was diagnosed, um, both of those things came to mind relatively quickly, but they weren't a stressful thing at all for our family. Um, We talked about them and we said, okay, wow, isn't it amazing how God arranged the fact that we had this extra money and we did something intentional with it Mm -hmm. so that two years later, two and a half years later when I was diagnosed, we knew that we were being provided for. Um, And we found that as well in the diagnosis that I've had, that there's extra medical costs. Yet God has provided always just in time. Always what we need and a little bit more. And that's what we've found all the way through this process is God has been doing amazing things with what we believe to be true and confirming that he does care for us individually. And he cares for little things that are put in place Mm -hmm. before we know we need them. Um, I had a quick conversation with my mom just last night. And there's somebody that um, I'm familiar with back in Canada who was diagnosed with cancer and passed away in about 10 weeks. A very aggressive cancer, um, very similar to mine, but it was a different one. But there were certain things that happened six months before he was diagnosed that were, again, a God thing that provided for him and for his family that you can't look at and say, um, that's a coincidence. It was very clearly God working in his life to provide for his family mm-hmm. much in the same way that I know my family's going to be provided for when I'm no longer here. One of your spiritual gifts is the ability to teach. Hmm. You you can make complicated things simple. I, I think back on you even being the speaker of um, you know, Christian homeschooling retreats and you were a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that for those of you that are listening, Greg was actually going to, I mean, the future plan that I had that you had was for you to come full time with Better Wealth and teach families on how to teach their kids about money. Yes. And so one of the things I, I got to witness firsthand, you're, you light up and share with families and encourage families on why money matters. Hmm. Do your best to kind of explain the importance of training up your kids in, in as as far as how they should handle money and like what kind of key big points that if families are listening to this, like what things can they do with their kids and how to train them to start thinking proactively about money? That's a big subject. I could probably talk for hours on that, but um, I'll, I'll try and summarize. Um, one of the things that is was critical in our lives is that Heather and I started out our married life where we were um, uh, living paycheck to paycheck and uh, always wanting more. And the tendency, the temptation in our culture is very much to over leverage, get yourself into debt and constantly be trying to get out of debt. Mm -hmm. Um, We spent 
some time when our kids were young. And when I say that, I'm suggesting that my kids were six, four, and two when we started learning some of the concepts that we needed to know about what it takes to get out of debt and how important it is to do that intentionally. So we actually had a really neat opportunity that was coming up for us at about that same time. My grandfather wanted to go to Holland and basically took all of my cousins, aunts, and uncles, there were 35 of us, to Holland. My, my grandpa was born in Holland and wanted to take us to where he was born and show us around while he still had the ability to do so. What a phenomenal opportunity. Now, we knew it was going to cost us some. He was providing airfare and some of the lodging, but we wanted to be able to do something while we were there and not worry about money and not go into debt over it. We planned ahead and we worked a second job. So we actually got a job cleaning our church and the whole family contributed to that. And we worked for a whole year to be able to go to Holland on vacation and never once worry about the money. Hmm. It was transformational because that then became our plan for the future to include the boys in as much as possible about getting out of debt, staying out of debt, working hard and doing things in such a way that they're providing, you know, value. One of the things that we often think about when we're living paycheck to paycheck is I want more. How do I get more? What it really takes is just a little bit of extra effort to intentionally say, I'm going to go into debt for something. I'm going to work harder to allow what I want to purchase to be done out of cash. Now, we translate that into what we've learned now, and it's even more so that when we work a little harder and we then take that money and allow it to do two things at once, where it's gonna grow in the policy, and yet we still have access to it if we need to for opportunities, opportunities for investment, opportunities for being able to make a difference, right utilizing that money in more than one spot at the same time, it's even more powerful than just trying to save up and pay cash. But if you can't master the discipline, it's the a discipline. strategy, a, a better strategy is not going to help you. And, the, and so having the mindset is super important. So stepping back just a little bit, after we started down that process with my boys, um, we also wanted to instill in them uh, a strong work ethic. So we homeschool, as it was mentioned earlier, but we have a farm, a small acreage, and we have lots of different tasks for them to do. One of the things that they started to do almost 10 years ago now is they started a chicken business where they were selling chicken eggs. And that has been a very beneficial thing for the boys because they're the ones that do all the work associated with it. They purchase the feed, they purchase the chicks, they care for them, and then they collect the eggs, clean them, and sell them again to friends and neighbors. And it has been the best thing for them to equate the hard work that they do with the money that they're receiving directly from the work that they do. The more efficient they are, the better they take care of their chickens, the more money that they're gonna make, they look for sales on feed all the time, and 
we currently have 135 chickens on our property and they are producing right now about 80, 90 eggs a day and they're able to sell those eggs and make a decent profit. My boys have grown with that and have already been asking, okay, dad, I have this money. What can I do with it that's going to be more beneficial than just spending it on toys, than just spending it on something? Um, and they have learned that from both the entrepreneurial opportunities, but then also from Robert Kiyosaki's <laughs> game. Cash flow. Called cash flow. Um, <laughs> it is a wonderful tool that we've been able to enjoy. It's a fun game at the same time as it teaches these amazing concepts of, you know, trying to think outside of the box and looking for opportunities to do more things. Now, my boys have all said they would love to raise more cows. Unfortunately, we only have enough space for about four, but it would be a greatest thing if they were to have been able to purchase a cow or two and then have them grow and to grow into um, a herd that they were able to then sell at some point in time in the future. We just don't have the land for that to be able to be a possibility. One of the things that Robert Kiyosaki says is instead of saying that you can't afford something, ask the question, how can I afford that? And your your kids at a very young age are starting to develop the mind of like, I can almost see when their their brains are going and they're like, okay, how can we pull this off? That's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. All the way through their our kids' um, upbringing, we've also wanted to teach them the power of delayed gratification, of intentionally working hard for something that they receive in the future, not that they receive immediately and then have to earn it or work it off. I learned that at a young age. I had a number of um, high school friends who were given vehicles. Some of them were used. We actually had a couple of families that their grandparents were wealthy and they gave them brand new vehicles. I had to work hard for mine. And I worked diligently for a long time before I could purchase my first vehicle. But the, um, the difference I noticed in the care that those that were given a vehicle and the care that I put into mine because I knew how much effort it was to, to, for me to actually have that vehicle was dramatic. And that was something I learned at an early age. And so with our family, we have intentionally done that with the boys to help them to understand the, the effort that it takes to purchase even fun things, but to be able to understand the power of delayed gratification rather than getting it first and then paying for it later. Okay, so I'm going to switch the subject. Um, you've given a lot of talks as it relates to like camps, churches and there's a lot of things in the scripture and a lot i mean we could literally talk for four hours about some of the things that we've talked about in the past but if you had to summarize for people watching people listening kind of some of your big takeaways in the talks that you've given um and he didn't know i was going to ask this question <laughs> uh, what like what what would that be in in light of where i'm currently at in my life um the things that I've talked about on a consistent basis have somewhat changed. Um, and you've been at some of these, so, um, so you're familiar with that. Um, but so much of the change in my life happened 
probably within the first week or two after I was diagnosed. Um, so I'm diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that is, um, I now have found out, or at that point had found out, it's likely going to be terminal. The diagnosis range wasn't all that long, uh, maybe up to five years, but likely less. Um, and I had a hard time sleeping, not because I was worried stressed or concerned. It was a physical thing just due to the chemo that I was on. So I would be up a lot at night and wouldn't fall back to sleep all that quickly. You know, it would take half an hour, 45 minutes. And so I got to spend quite a bit of time just listening and hearing. And it, it made the days and the nights seem like they took a really long time. But it wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that the days seemed longer and a, at a burden rate. I actually enjoyed that because I didn't know how many days I would have left. And the phrase came, started to come up, but may your days become slower like mine are. It seemed like when I sat out on the front porch of our house and listened to the birds that time almost stopped. That time went much slower. And I think it was an appreciation for how, the importance of making the most of every moment, of cherishing those moments, of enjoying those moments. And that's become a consistent thing in my life is every moment that I have, I want to enjoy mm -hmm. the time I have. I enjoy sitting down with a cup of coffee with a good friend and talking about things that are in my heart. Um, I do that a lot. I spend a lot of time on the phone with good friends, trying to encourage them to learn what I've learned without having the diagnosis that mm -hmm. I've had, to cherish each and every relationship that they have and pouring into that, investing in people. Uh, this life isn't about stuff. It's not even about experiences, even though that has become the new cultural mantra is life isn't about stuff. It's about experiences. No, it's still about relationships with people. That's what is the most valuable. And I knew that before, but it's become so much more clear to me now. And that's what I want to help people to understand um, is that the important things in life should be cherished. And those important things in life are friends and family and spending time with folks. I've thought a lot about, since my diagnosis, about a bucket list. Hmm. Is there certain things that I'd like to do before um, I can no longer physically am able to do certain things? And I, spending time thinking deeply about it, realized how pointless so many of the things that most people put on a bucket list really are. Like, how is that a long-term benefit? Um, maybe I wanted to go see another country, you know? Um, great. Yeah, I've seen that other country, but how does that benefit long-term? I know that time I spend with people and investing in their lives yes. will last much longer than me going to another country and going, hey, that's cool. I got to see the Taj Mahal or, or whatever. I got to go to Bora Bora and sit on the beach for four days. Yeah, um, great. But 
spending time with people and encouraging them, they're going to remember. And it's going to last long term. And it's going to last well into the future. That's my bucket list, is spending as much time with as many people as possible. Hence why I'm doing this interview mm -hmm. and have the opportunity to maybe impact even more folks than just what I have in my immediate circle of friends where I spend time on the phone. It is so much more valuable to me. And I think if you really think about it, to most people, when people say they're on their deathbed, they don't regret yep. you know, time spent at work. Yep. They don't regret time doing other things. What they regret is not spending enough time with friends and family. So why don't we live our lives in such a way that we don't have that regret? Yeah. I know that for me, when I'm laying there and I'm, you know, towards the very, very end, I, right now, I know I wouldn't have any regrets if that day was tomorrow. Wow. If, if that day was tomorrow. Um, I hope it's not, but I wouldn't have any regrets because I have been intentional and tried to pour into as many people as possible. And I remember you, you were like one of the most intentional people that I knew growing up. And after this diagnosis, you, I remember you having a conversation with me. You're like, Caleb, I thought I was intentional then. I absolutely did. And this diagnosis has made me like 10 times more intentional. 10 times, 100 times. Uh, <laughs> it's just unbelievable how much it has changed me. In fact, I have shared with people that I don't want to be the person I was before my diagnosis, wow. Wow. even if that meant that I didn't have cancer anymore. Um, wow. I would much rather be the person I am right now, my relationship with God, my relationship with my friends, my family is so much more valuable. And if it, what it took for me was being diagnosed with cancer to wake me up to that, so be it. I don't want it to happen to other people that they have to have that type of diagnosis. I want people to hear how valuable and to learn from what I've learned because where I'm at right now, I'm in so much more of a peace, so much more confident of what my purpose is in life and what is valuable in life. And it gives me the motivation to get up every morning, whether I'm feeling bad or not to get up every morning and do the best I can, because I don't know how much time I'm going to have left, but I want to invest in things that really matter, not things that are a vapor that's going to be gone tomorrow, you know, eternal things that are going to have long lasting benefits. And what you're able to do, what we worked out with my policy has eternal consequences. It's not a spiritually eternal consequence or benefit. It's a benefit that's going to go from generation to generation financially right. that's going to provide for my family and for my children and for my children's children, even though I may not get to see them. I won't get to see them. I'm pretty sure that I, in heaven, I don't know if I <laughs> get the chance to see them or not, but regardless of that, that's the most important thing to me. So I want to help people from a spiritual perspective, mm -hmm. from an intentional perspective, and 
to help people to understand what you and I have learned and what I'm now experiencing based upon what we put in place without knowing what the future is going to hold. Right. But it provides living benefits as well as provides for tragic potential events in the future. Right. At the same time. One of the one of the things that I you've really raised the bar for me is is your relationship with your wife. And one of the I'll call it a Gregism. You're huh. you're you're like Caleb, I was pretty effective for God's kingdom while I was single and so was Heather. But together we're able to do a lot more. Yes. Like and and I I want you to know that, you know, I've learned a lot of things from you, but that's one of the things that I will never, ever forget. (laughs) And I've always looked up to you with how you love your wife and how you're intentional with your marriage. And um, I want you to know that that's something that I desperately want to live out as well. (laughs) That warms my heart. Um, But I know in your heart that that's, that's something that you're going to have the opportunity to live out. And that is, that's a God directed thing. If you learn that from me, give praise to him because he's the one that's going to make that happen because you're going to be intentional about it, right? So you're going to be praying intentionally. You're going to use James chapter one, verse five, ask for wisdom. Anyone who asks for wisdom will be given it without finding fault. So when you ask for wisdom from God, he's going to give it to you. That's something that I learned years and years ago when my kids were really young. I read through James chapter one and went, wow, I can ask for wisdom to be the best dad I can be for my boys. I'm going to do that. And may not have been every day, but it was very often that I prayed for wisdom and I believe God has honored that. I've also prayed for wisdom as it relates to how do I lead my family? How do I, how do I treat my wife? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I believe that God has um, spared me from mistakes that would be harmful um, because of those prayers, because of those consistency in prayers. Um, that's probably one of the hardest things about this diagnosis. I actually have the easy role. I know where I'm going doing everything I can to prepare my family. My family is the one that's going to miss me when I'm gone. My friends are going to miss me when I'm gone. I'm probably not going to think much about it at all. (laughs) I'm going to be worshiping and I'm not going to have any worries. Um, I'm going to be a place where it says very clearly, there's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no crying. Um, I'm not going to have any pain, even though I haven't had very much pain from my cancer. It probably will come at some point in time. That's what I get to look forward to. But my family is the one that's, that is left behind. So what can I do right now to invest in them and to prepare for the future? So fin- uh, spiritually, it's been done. Financially, it's been done. From a leadership perspective. Which I want to go into next. Um, yeah. I, I'm writing as much as I can to invest in my wife and my boys so that at significant events in their lives in the future, they're going to open this letter. They're going to read it. It's going to be, you know, the things that I would say, we're doing some videos to be able to help them to be able to hear it in my voice. Won't be the same as if I'm there, 
but it's the best that we're going to try and do. We're going to be intentional yep. about doing everything we can. One of the things that um, you've done very intentionally is you've had different you've you've had different moments as your boys have grown up to be you know more mature and to men just be like the men of God and encouraging them. Why don't you? There's there's two things that come to my mind is when you do like that camping trip, uh-huh. <laughs> and then when you have a coming to be a man ceremony. Um, talk to us about your parenting philosophy and why that's important and why, if there's parents listening to this, that they should be looking into being intentional with their kids. Very much so. Wanting to be wise as a, as a dad and um, a little bit of history. Um, my parents uh, divorced when I was young. Um, uh, I believe that uh, that was official when I was 12. And I, I have a great relationship with my father now, but for a period of time, um, there was very little communication. And it was not due to anything that my father had done. It was just the situation that we were in. I didn't have a lot of communication with him. And that started to be restored with him as I turned 17 and 18 and realized that this was a value that I wanted to do. Now I had other men that poured into my life. And I believe again, God used that because I got to see lots of different parenting styles and have some mentors pour into my life. And I recognized then the value of that. As I became a father um, and wanted to do intentionally pour into my boys' lives. Um, there were a number of books that um, influenced me. John Eldridge's um, uh, met the making of a modern day night. Um, there's a number of other things that we looked into about um, preparing boys to become men um, and wanting to do that intentionally. Um, we started with this process when, when they were younger, talking about what does it mean to be a man. Um, and we use the phrase often that a man's role is to protect and provide. And if I would have had girls, I would talk about a women's role is to nurture and to guide. And that's a God-given thing to, to accentuate the natural and God-given abilities that men have in certain ways that are different from women. The neat thing is, is that as I spent more time talking with people and seeing um, what was effective. As a youth pastor, I saw good relationships with parents and their children and really wanted to emulate that in many, many different ways. Because as a youth pastor, I had a few hours per week with these young people. Parents had many, many more opportunities. And that's part of the reason we homeschool is because it gives even more opportunities for us to build into the character of our children. For me, it's my three sons. Now, as we did that, we started and wanted to um, do something called a rite of passage and do a number of those. And there's many things that are suggested in different books about rites of passage. Um, but as a family, we chose to give them an opportunity to do something just me and them. Um, when around they turned 12 um, and they got to choose what we did that was away from the home. And then I would spend some time in a small ceremony with their talking about 
okay, you're now starting to become a man. And what does it take to be a man? What does that look like from a godly perspective? Um, unfortunately for me, because I don't like cold in winter, all three boys wanted to go winter camping. So I did three winter camping trips, which were a real stretch physically for me. But boy, did it ever build in memories. And so we spent a day and a half, two days. Um, we had one that got short, cut short because the temperature was going to really drop and it was going to get to below zero Fahrenheit overnight. And I'm like, no, that's too, I didn't want to do that. The first night when it was, um, you know, just below freezing was hard enough. And so we, we cut that one a little short, but we still did the things that we wanted to do. We cooked outside, we talked, we did intentional things mm -hmm. in talking about what does it mean to become a man. And I had a couple of books that gave me some ideas. As they grew older, we wanted to do things, you know, the model that we had was kind of like a, a little bit of military kind of oriented. We were doing basic training. That was when they were 12. Then we did... Um, a recognition of how they had grown so far when they were a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And then at 16, we wanted to do kind of a, you know, a ceremony that said, okay, who are the mentors and, and people who've, who've recognized your, your progress so far as you're becoming a man and who is going to potentially be mentors and guiding and leading them alongside of me as they get older. Um, so when uh, we just did this for my middle son um, at 15 and a half, um, but we've now done two ceremonies that we call them a blessing. And we get together with um, my father, who has been part of it, um, with some local folks who have been from church or Bible studies or from the homeschool group. Um, Caleb, you've been a part of it for She's been an honor. two, two yeah. of my boys uh, because we're good friends and you're around a lot and they've seen your example as a young man and they've told me that they look up to you yeah. and that means that you have influence in their lives. So you got invited to share a blessing on recognition of what they've done already in becoming a man, a challenge or a number of challenges for them to think about in the future, and your commitment to walk alongside of them in the future. These blessing times are extremely powerful, very emotional, um, and yet extremely meaningful. Um, my oldest has pulled out, you know, one of the things we insist upon is that it's written out so that they can look at it at a future time. And my oldest has done that multiple times since his ceremony um, that was almost two years ago now. Um, and he's told us how much it meant and how much he's thought of those times, that time we've had, plus also looking back at those notes and the things that were shared with him yeah. in person at that point in time. And it's just been a very powerful thing for his growth and for his, you know, um, looking at that as he's become a man. My goal had always been to, you know, future events that, you know, uh, turning 18, um, to have another sort of recognition, um, when becoming married, um, 
because then we're kind of like passing this torch yeah. and saying, okay, you know, now you're going to live this out in your family's life, being able to do another thing when children are born and say, all right, now you are a father. What you have learned in becoming a man is now even further going to be passed on because you need to model that for your children. How powerful is that to recognize these rites of passage? Mm. As a culture, we kind of do it already, but it's not as intentional. You become a man when you turn 18 and you get to vote, and you have this rite of passage when you get your driver's license and you turn 16, and those are important, but what if we took that intentionally and did more with it than just what our culture does and says, hey, you're now grown up because you're 18 or you now have freedom because you have your driver's license well, at 16. And, and the new thing is like 30 is the new 20. And it's yeah. what we're, we're prolonging responsibility. We're prolonging this idea of taking responsibility. And that's one thing that you've been really, really intentional with. Why don't you speak to your boys right now? And like, obviously they're, you're a proud dad. Absolutely. Right <laughs> on. Uh, what... If you could pass on one thing to them, what, what would that be? I want to pass on more than just one oh, thing. You, can, you have a microphone, so you can say whatever um, you want. Uh, just, just thinking intentionally about everything that you do is so important. So many times as we grow up, we react to situations. Um, and often when we react, we don't react well. Um, I actually am working specifically on the blessing for my youngest already. Um, and I wrote a few notes about that this morning on a piece of paper that I'm going to intentionally start writing and probably want to record that on, on audio uh, or video. But leadership, manhood mm -hmm. is in the moment. You have to choose every time that a situation comes up and you have to choose to be intentional to do what a man would do, not what a child would do. It says in Philippians that when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. That's intentional. You have to intentionally put childish ways behind you and think intentionally about I'm not going to do what I feel like doing. Right. I'm not going to do um, what I want to do necessarily. I'm going to do what is necessary and needs to be done for the betterment of my family and for the betterment of the family situation I'm currently involved in. So if I'm tired, but there's dishes that need to go in the dishwasher, I'm going to choose to do that and right. not just sit back and say, well, I'm tired. I don't feel like it. And it kind of comes full circle, this idea of surrendering our life. Like the, the, the gospel is all about, I'm going to lay my life down. And it's kind of a funny thing happens when you do that in every area of your life. That's part of becoming a man of God. That's become becoming more intentional. And that's really the secret on how to live an inspired life. If you were going to write a book today, what would the title be? What would the book be about? I probably would would title it um, something related to what I did at uh, graduation just recently. But it's basically, I, I used um, two Latin words and kind of did a fun thing with it. But 
we tend to, the, the, the book would be about, we tend to live for the big moments in life. Mm-hmm. We look forward to vacations. We look forward to big moments. Um, and that's not wrong for us to celebrate or to live for those momentous occasions. So I called it carpe momentous, like carpe diem, seize the day, seize the momentous occasions. But life is also lived in the little moments. Mm-hmm. And so carpe memento, the small moments as well. That's what it would be about, about living for big things, but also living with joy and cherishing the moments each and every day. That's what I would write a book about. And I probably have about 30 chapters already already ready to go in my brain because that's what I've been living yeah. for the last year. I, I feel like this has been, like we've just been rolling and just um, time has flown. Um, but at the same time, I hope that you hear my passion. I hope that you hear how important this is. It's important to me because my time is short, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be important to others. We're all going to die. And, and the reality is I could, I mean, reality is I could die before you. And you sort of have a blessing because it's making you intentionally be, like, it's making you be intentional. But the reality is we're all going to die. And one thing that I've been thinking about is I've been living my life not thinking about that. And when you start living your life thinking about that, it it doesn't become more depressing. It just makes you work about things that matter or like live a life more intentionally. And usually the question that I end with on like a traditional podcast would be like this, this idea of legacy question. So like, and it might actually really hit home because what I, what I say is you have one more conversation with the people that you love the most. What are you telling them? And, and I feel like this has been coming I've, I've asked that question like 10 different ways and would it, would it simply be to, would it be your book answer? Pro- it probably would be very similar to that. Just to, to seize the moments that you have and don't waste it. Right. Th- there are many platitudes out there that, you know, er- every day you have a certain number of seconds, um, to, to live out. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I actually had a really cool story. Um, I was a youth pastor, and for a period of time, I got to preach once a week or a month. Mm. My son was born Saturday night. I preached Sunday morning. No way. Wow. I had prepared. He was born two weeks early. So I had prepared for it, kind of thinking about this new life that was coming. His mm. due date was two weeks from that time. And I titled that sermon... 28085 dot 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 28084 dot 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 that's how many seconds an average lifespan was when i wrote that sermon 28805 seconds that might have been minutes i i i have to listen to the sermon again right right but the idea was that for an average lifespan we have a certain length of time time is ticking away why would we waste that time doing something that has no value? Our family is very intentional. We do watch some TV, but it's a lot smaller than 
an average household because while it's good for a relaxing every once in a while, it's not as beneficial as reading a book, right. playing a game, um, interacting with folks, being in good conversations with people. Um, those are so much more valuable right. than just sitting and soaking something in that really doesn't have any eternal value. Sure, it's fun to see what happens with the latest, you know, sitcom or, um, you know, drama show or to see who's on some of the reality TV shows. It's fun in the moment, but it has no lasting value. It filters what you said earlier. is like you don't want to have any regrets at the end of your life. Correct. I don't want to regret spending so much time just sitting in front of a TV. Right. Um, I would much rather sit outside and watch the world and be able to praise God for what he's created and for the joy that it brings. I'd much rather work with someone uh, on a little project or, you know, be able to make a meal together as right. a family, um, be able to play a game, interact with somebody. That's got so much more value. And then taking it even to the next level, why is it that we tend to we tend to think of this idea of work as a burden, yeah. as a problem that we can't wait to be done work so that we can recreate? I, have, I know so many folks who hate Mondays because it means they have to start work and love Fridays because it means the weekend is coming. My idea was... I'm going to be at work. I have to work to pay the bills. Why not enjoy it? Why not make the most of every opportunity while I'm there to build into people, yeah. do my job well, have fun doing it rather than dread it, right. enjoy it. And when I get home, enjoy my family. Don't dread the fact that <laughs> they're yeah. be, be present. Yeah. Um, I mentioned in one of my talks that it pains me so much when you see family that's gone out to eat and the child is wanting attention and they're on their phone. Um, it, it pains me so much because I want to be present and investing rather than just, I can't wait till my kids grow up. Right. I can't wait till they're older. I can't wait to, no, they're there now. It's always been a desire of mine. Now, maybe I'm just a little strange because I was a youth pastor for many years. I love teenagers. I couldn't wait for my children to yeah, become teenagers. That's a problem. But it all comes back to intentionality, this importance of investing in people. And it's so much more valuable than just trying to get through every day so that we can go do something. One of the things that I, you're a big optimist. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, even this whole this whole cancer thing, like you're you're so optimistic. And there I have times in my life I know people who tend to like just be sad about a lot of things. And I mean, Greg, this could be I mean, like, you're you're gonna be optimistic till the day that you that God brings you home. Why is being so positive such an important thing to you and why should people listening to this like choose to be positive because it affects every part of life um the folks that i know that 
are not on the positive side of things. And that's a spectrum. There's a lot of people who are really, really negative. And there's some that are just, they, they tend to look at the glasses half empty rather than the glasses half full. Um, their enjoyment of life is significantly different than mine. We're here. Why don't we enjoy it? We're in the situation that we're in. Let's enjoy the moment we're in rather than have regret for what isn't. If we want to change something, let's work hard to change it. Right. But let, let's not complain about things that we have no control over. Um, how is that helpful? Uh, okay, final question. Um, favorite Bible passage? I know that's a tough, that could be tough because there's so many. My favorite Bible passage is uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It was given to me, I believe, because God wanted me to learn that. Hmm. It was given to me as a quoted verse when I graduated from middle school, from oh. junior high school. It was said, this is a verse we think applies to you. And the verse is this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It, it transformed my life. It really did. Now, it didn't right away it when I was in junior high, but it stuck with me. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart because it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Now, there's more in the verse, um, but that's the, the essence of it. I wasn't doing that when I was, you know, in eighth grade. It was eighth grade. Right. So I'm graduating from eighth grade, and they give me this verse. I wasn't doing that with my whole heart, but it has become a verse that has stuck with me. Yeah. And I think that that's the power again of God putting things in my life before I knew I needed them to change me and to be what he wants me to do and be. And I have no regrets. I have no angst toward God. I have no anger for my diagnosis, none whatsoever. I have peace in my heart. And I believe that that doesn't come from me. Yeah. That comes from God because it says very clearly in Scripture that there is a peace that passes all understanding. When the doctor walked in to give me my diagnosis, that came over me as he was saying the words, you have cancer. And that peace flooded over me. It's not from myself. And I was able to just rest in that and say, okay, this comes unexpectedly but God's going to use it and I want to be able to have him use it to further his kingdom. That's been my constant prayer since that day is that I would be faithful to what he's doing so that the kingdom grows and that people are impacted eternally. Hmm. That's what I want to do. Uh, Andy Stanley's, um, quoted for saying the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. And Greg, yes. you've, you've lived and are living a very valuable life. And I am one of the many people that have impacted greatly because of you, hmm. because of our great God. So thank you. Thank you for doing this. This is maybe more meaningful to me than any, I, I don't know. I'm going to look back on this and be so thankful that we could be intentional about 
getting this captured. Absolutely. And um, yeah. Thank you, Caleb. Um, and thank you for your friendship. Um, it has been a huge joy over these years and um, it, it, it's cherished regularly. Every time I see you, I get big hugs for you and, and I enjoy the conversations we have um, and, and it's just a pleasure. So thank you for that, this opportunity as well. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation that I had with Greg. On March 26, 2019, the Lord took Greg Helama home and he had an opportunity to be with his whole family and to say goodbye. And, and actually, a week before that, I flew back and spent a couple days with my family and his family because I knew that he was kind of on his last leg. And that was some really precious time that I had with Greg. And one of the things that he encouraged me is he said, Caleb, don't forget why you started this in the beginning. Like, don't forget. Don't forget the people that you want to impact. And I share that with you, number one, so that I can be held accountable. But number two, I, I want to encourage you with whatever you're up to, don't forget why you started. I, I started because I wanted to help people. I wanted to have a genuine, uh, I wanted to genuinely help people. And I knew I could do that through helping them optimize and maximize their money and, and just see the whole big picture. And regardless of what you do, don't forget why you're doing what you're doing. I had the opportunity to speak at Greg's funeral, or they called it the celebrational life, which I absolutely love because, um, yeah, his, his light, it was incredible to hear the many people and the stories. Um, but I shared this quote that I want to leave you with. The quote was by a gentleman by the name of Andy Stanley, and it went like this. The value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. The value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. The one thing I want to leave and encourage you with, and I know this is a long episode, make sure that you continue to live a valuable life. And believe it or not, it has nothing to do with your successes or how much money you have. It's about how you're giving yourself to others. Thank you. God bless. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player. 